I did an episode on the origins of civilization back in episode 74. Got me thinking, what about societal collapse or civilizational collapse? Well, it does happen. And in my mind, it's not just about the collapse of empires, but it could be the collapse of society at large. Indeed, at a personal level, it could be a personal collapse impacting you. So one of my aims in this episode is to look at the signs also of impending doom. Or are there any signs? And can we, you and I, do something before something like that happens to us? Now, the idea that progress, whatever progress may be, the idea that progress happens and always happens in the right way is not a trend from history. Now, there could be a more minor collapse too. It doesn't have to be a massive societal collapse. For example, not a collapse of a civilization, but maybe of a country or an economy inside even a country. But that ultimately still hits you personally, and it is a horrible experience if you are the one experiencing it. And it gets more complicated still because you have to layer in context. Think about a 15-year-old in Somalia today, June 2022. This teen only knows a society that, in our minds, or at least in my mind, is a society that has already collapsed. Yet, that teen lives in not knowing anything different. In the simplest of ways to identify such a collapse, it is essentially the fall of a complex human society lopped into a loss of natural identity and of socioeconomic life. Then the downfall of government could occur and then the rise of violence would occur. Now, I dealt with complex societies back in episode 74 on civilization, so no elaboration here. But if you're listening to this podcast, I'm making the bold assumption that you live in a complex society, so look around. Now, Tons of societies and civilizations have suffered a fate of, well, collapse. That has happened regardless of their size or complexity. Now, some of them later have revived and transformed, such as China, India, Egypt, and others. However, others never really recovered, such as the Western and Eastern Roman empires, the Mayans, and the Easter Island civilizations. Anthropologists, historians, and sociologists have proposed a variety of explanations for the collapse of civilizations, including factors such as environmental change, depletion of resources, unsustainable complexities, invasions, disease, decay of social cohesion, rising inequality, secular decline of cognitive abilities of all things, and loss of creativity. And of course, just goddamn misfortune. However, complete extinction of a culture isn't inevitable. And in many cases, new societies arise from the ashes of the old one and is evidently an offspring of that old one. Moreover, the influence of a collapsed society, such as, say, the Western Roman Empire, may linger on for centuries after its demise. There is even an academic study of collapsing societies called, of all things, it's called collapsology. 
There are lots of people who have written about one or another society collapsing. Indeed, there is even a fantastic podcast called The Collapse of Civilizations that you might want to check out. I'm going to examine the reasons or roots of collapse in five broad categories. One, natural disasters and changing climates. Two, foreign invasions and mass migrations. Three, famines, economic depressions, and internal strife. Four, disease outbreaks. Five, demographic dynamics. Now, before I jump into these five fascinating topics, I want to highlight two writers. Joseph Tainter, who wrote societal collapse, who wrote about societal collapse in his book, The Collapse of Complex Societies in 1988, and the popular book called Collapse in 2005 by Gerard Diamond. So now back to my five points that I've mentioned. Let's start with natural disasters. Archaeologists reckon that signs are present of a mega drought for a millennium between about 5,000 and 4,000 years ago in Africa and Asia. The drying of the Green Sahara, yes, I said a green Sahara that dried, not only turned it into a desert, but also disrupted the monsoon seasons in South and Southeast Asia, causing flooding in East Asia that prevented successful harvest and development of complex cultures. It coincided with and may have actually caused the decline and fall of the Cadian Empire in Mesopotamia and Indus Valley Civilization collapsed as well. Now, this highly advanced Indus Valley civilization took roots around 3000 BC in what is now northwestern India and Pakistan, collapsing around 1700 BC. The Indus script tells us, well, it doesn't tell us anything because the Indus script has yet to be deciphered, so it is therefore a mystery. So it doesn't tell us anything, but it does point to some kind of natural disaster occurring at that time. Apparently, there were also signs of some kind of gradual decline in the area around that same time period of 1900 BC and even a couple of centuries here and there. Most of the cities had apparently been abandoned and archaeological evidence suggests an increase in sort of violence and diseases like leprosy and TB. Historians and archaeologists believe that severe and long-lasting drought and a decline in trade with Egypt and Mesopotamia caused that collapse. Evidence also for earthquakes has also been discovered. Sea level changes are also found at two possible seaport sites along the Markham coast, which are now inland. Earthquakes too could have contributed to decline in several sites by direct shaking damage or by changes in sea levels or other water supply. There are also stories in ancient Egypt of the mysterious sea peoples who arrived on their shores during what became known as the Bronze Age Collapse. It is believed that there were societies who faced ecological failures wherever they were from and ended up on Egypt's shores. That late so-called Bronze Age collapse is believed to have led to the collapse of societies such as the Greeks, leading to the Greek Dark Ages that lasted for 200 years until the collapse and led to the collapse of the Hittite Empire in Anatolia. Speculation, yes, but that's what we have speculation, and a few threads of evidence. Now that's natural disasters. Now moving on to foreign invasions and mass migrations. 
In the 3rd century BC, a Eurasian nomadic people, the Zhangzhou, began threatening China's frontiers. But by the 1st century BC, they had been completely expelled. So they then turned their attention westwards and displaced various other tribes in Eastern and Central Europe, which led to a cascade of events. Attila rose to power as leader of the Huns and initiated a campaign of invasions and looting that went as far as Gaul, i.e. modern-day France. Attila's Huns were clashing with, of course, the Roman Empire, which had already been divided into two halves for ease of administration, the Eastern Roman Empire and the Western Roman Empire. Despite their decisive victory at the Battle of Chalons in 451 AD, the Romans were unable to stop Attila from attacking Roman Italy. Northern Italian cities like Milan were ravaged. The Huns never again posed a threat to the Romans after Attila's death, but the rise of the Huns also forced the Germanic peoples out of their territories and made those groups press their way into parts of France, Spain, Italy, and as far south as North Africa. The city of Rome itself came under attack by the Visigoths in 410 and was plundered by the Vandals in 455. A combination of internal strife, economic weakness, and relentless invasions by the Germanic peoples pushed the Western Roman Empire into terminal decline. Of course, unintended consequences, but civilizational collapse. In 1206 AD, a warlord achieved dominance over all Mongols with the title Genghis Khan and began his campaign of territorial expansion. The Mongols' highly flexible and mobile cavalry enabled them to conquer the enemies with efficiency and swiftness. In the brutal pillaging that followed Mongol invasions during the 13th and 14th centuries, the invaders completely destroyed the populations of China, Russia, the Middle East, and Islamic Central Asia. Later Mongol leaders, such as Timur, destroyed many cities, slaughtered thousands of people. The invasions transformed a settled society into a nomadic one, civilizational collapse. In China, for example, a combination of war, famine, and pestilence during these Mongol conquests halved the population, a decline of around 55 million people, it is estimated. The Khmer Empire, for example, in this situation, went into decline and was replaced by the Thais, who were pushed southwards by the Mongols. The Vietnamese, who succeeded in defeating the Mongols, also turned their attention to the south and by 1471 began to subjugate the Chams. When Vietnam's later Li dynasty went into decline in the late 1700s, a bloody civil war erupted between the Trent family in the north and the Nguyen family in the south. More Cham provinces were seized by the Nguyen's. In 2003, the United States and its allies attacked and completely invaded Iraq, flattening many cities. The ensuing chaos, destruction, and death resulted in millions internally displaced and others displaced externally. It also then contributed to the rise of religious militant groups and the collapse of neighboring Syria. That also caused millions to be displaced both inside and outside the country. All right. So, we've examined foreign invasions and natural disasters. What about famines, economic depression, and internal strife? In the 14th century AD, Britain suffered repeated rounds of crop failures from unusually heavy rainfall and flooding. Much livestock either starved or drowned. Food prices skyrocketed, and Edward II attempted to rectify the situation by imposing price controls, 
but vendors simply refused to sell at low prices. In any case, the act was abolished by the then so-called Lincoln Parliament in 1316. Soon, people from commoners to nobles were finding themselves short of food. Many resorted to begging, crime, and eating animals they others were, otherwise would not eat. People in northern England had to deal, in addition to all that, with raids from Scotland. There were even reports of cannibalism. In the 1930s, the U.S. stock market crashed, causing the biggest depression in U.S. history. Many people lost everything. Others took their lives due to the losses that they made on the stock market. Due to this economic downturn, the government enforced a completely socialist ecosystem of the U.S. people that lasts to the current day. In 2022, yep, as I go to publish in June 2022, there is a famine in Afghanistan and Yemen. Both regions are suffering from civil war, economic sanctions, and foreign involvement. Hunger is so bad in Afghanistan, for example, that people are dying of hunger or selling their organs or children to survive. So we've looked at natural disasters, foreign invasions, and internal strife. What else could there be that creates civilizational societal collapse? What about disease outbreaks? Yes. It is believed by many that the dawn of agriculture led to the rise of contagious diseases because too many dirty, filthy, bloodthirsty humans lived with animals. These animals were used as pack animals, food, or dairy. They were also exposed to unclean water, the animals and the humans, generally poor sanitation, animals and the humans, and a lack of medical knowledge, animals and the humans, superstitions, just the humans, and sometimes a combination of disasters multiplied the problem tenfold. Now, the Antonine Plague that we believe lasted from 165 to 180 AD is said to have been a small pox or measles type plague and was a disease that likely started in China and spread west via the Silk Road to Rome. Roman troops first contracted the disease in the east before they returned home, striking the then virgin population. The Antonine Plague had dreadful mortality rates. Between one-third to half of the population, 60 to 70 million people died. Roman cities suffered from a combination of overcrowding, poor hygiene, and unhealthy diets. They quickly became epicenters. Soon, the disease reached as far as Gaul and mauled Roman defences along the Rhine. The ranks of the previously formidable Roman army had to be filled with freed slaves, German mercenaries, criminals, and gladiators. That ultimately failed to prevent the Germanic tribe from ultimately crossing the Rhine and hitting on the civilian populations. The Antonine Plague created a drastic shortage of businessmen which disrupted trade and farmers which led to a food crisis. An economic depression followed and government revenue fell. Encounters between European explorers and Native Americans exposed the latter to a variety of diseases of extraordinary craziness. Having migrated from northeastern Asia 15,000 years ago, Native Americans had not been introduced to the plethora of contagious diseases that emerged after the rise of agriculture in what we call the Old World, i.e. Asia, Europe, and Africa. As such, 
they had immune systems that were ill-equipped to handle diseases to which their counterparts in Eurasia and Africa became resistant. When the Europeans arrived in the Americas, in short order, the indigenous populations of the Americas found themselves facing smallpox, measles, whooping cough, and the bubonic plague, among others. In tropical areas, malaria, yellow fever, dengue fever, river blindness, and others appeared. Most of these tropical diseases were traced to Africa. Smallpox ravaged the area of Mexico in the 1520s and killed 150,000 in one town alone, including the emperor, and in Peru in the 1530s, which aided the European conquerors no end. Now that's an important point, the one about Peru, because a combination of Spanish military attacks and evolutionary these viruses basically finished off the Aztecs in the 16th century. It is commonly believed that the death of as much as 90 to 95% of the Native American population of the entire New World was caused by old world diseases. Though some new research suggests that TB from seals and sea lions may have played a significant part, but let's not uh, gloss over the fact that these people died because of old world diseases. All right, so we've done foreign invasions, yes. Natural disasters, yes. Famine and depression, you bet we've done that. Now diseases, yep, we've done that. And the last biggie, the biggie biggie, demographics. Now, writing in the histories, the Greek historian Porbius largely blamed the decline of the Hellenic world on low fertility rates. He asserted that while protracted wars and deadly epidemics were absent, people were generally more interested in showing the money and pleasures of an idle life than in marrying and raising children. Those who had children, according to him, had no more than one or two, with the express intention of leaving them well off or bringing them up in extravagant luxury. Have to admit, a lot of that sounds very relevant today. Continuing on from that theme, in the final years of the Roman Republic, Roman women were well known for divorcing, having extramarital affairs, and being reluctant to bear children. Viewing that as a threat to the social and political order and believing that the Roman upper class was becoming increasingly cosmopolitan and individualistic, upon the establishment of the Roman Empire, Caesar Augustus introduced legislation designed to increase the birth rate. Men aged six Men aged 20 to 60 and women aged 20 to 50 were legally obliged to marry and widowed or divorced individuals within the relevant age were required to remarry. Exemptions were granted to those who already had three children in the case of freeborn people and four in the case of freed slaves. Now, in more recent times, countries such as Japan, Germany, Northern and Western Europe, Russia and even China, despite its huge population, are seeing population declines. In China, it's because of their one-child policy that, by the way, is now reversed, but was there until very recently. Now, these population declines due to low birth rate are not new and are not uncommon, but they do lead to a decline in the civilization and will ultimately lead to a power vacuum that would need to be filled. Now, will our current civilization collapse? And what do you do if and when it does? Well, yes, nothing is forever, so something will happen. And yes, your society will collapse. Indeed, your country may also collapse. 
easy come, easy go. There is ample history, fact-based and otherwise, including news from as recent as today that your civilization is always on the verge. Worse, that you yourself may and will face existential hardship in such a situation. I want you to think about a recent few events. Hurricane Katrina, when it hit the U.S. in August 2005, the lives of the people it impacted was severe, homes destroyed and lives devastated. Before Hurricane Katrina, and way more devastating, was the December 2004 Indian Ocean tsunami. Now, just some stats from that. On the 26th of December 2004, an undersea earthquake struck off the coast of the Indonesian island of Sumatra. This quake caused the Indian Ocean tsunami that we call the Indian Ocean tsunami of 2004. And it reached out across the entire Indian Ocean, devastating many coastlines. The magnitude of the earthquake was 9.1. This tsunami lasted for a whopping seven hours and reached across the Indian Ocean, hitting areas in Indonesia, Sri Lanka, India, the Maldives, and Thailand, and as far away as East Africa. This tsunami killed at least 225,000 people across that dozen country list that I mentioned. It was just enormous. I remember it. I wasn't there, but I do remember seeing it on TV. I know it doesn't count, but there you go. Now, imagine being in one of these communities. Think about the Syrian civil war. That, by the way, is still not fully concluded as of June 22. Now, imagine back then, before the war, you were a doctor in Aleppo, and then suddenly violence occurred. And within weeks, you are in a refugee camp in Jordan with your children, your parents, and extended family, your entire life and your entire family's life that existed in Aleppo was destroyed in a matter of days. Your kids now grow up in a refugee camp and you don't know if you can go back to what is there. The additional bad news is that no one really wants you in their backyard and though you may be thankful that the neighboring countries help you a lot, they don't really want you there. Or what about the Cuban citizens who have had to live under 50 plus years of sanctions, embargoes, and effective blockades by a massive neighbor? Or today, if you're in eastern Ukraine, you have had to originally had to deal with Ukrainian nationalists and now the Russian military. Well, what about Mao's China? Suddenly, there was an edict that all landlords are to be killed and blindly people went around doing just that. 1930s Germany, and if you're Jewish, 1940s America, and if you're Japanese, or if you happen to be captured by slave traders in the 1850s of West Africa, who would then have transported you to the New World as slaves. Imagine having been a citizen of Baghdad when the Mongols came calling, or Bengal during the British Raj imposed Bengal famine. Everything you know can and will turn upside down. Or you could be lucky and duck out because it doesn't happen in your lifetime. Somebody else will have to deal with it. Look at societies like Iraq, Turkey, Egypt, India, Iran, or China. 
How many times have they come and gone as civilizations? Multiple, many. So when your society does collapse, can you do anything to save yourself? If history has any answers, then it's this. One, in many cases, such as the tsunami of 2004, you are simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. So, no help there. Two, in political or human-induced collapses, you may have some options. So, I see those options breaking down into five. So, one would be first mover advantage. And to me, this is a real big one. If you were the first to leave Libya before it collapsed, you are better off than people who stayed or left later. Number two, know the situation. Keep your ear to the ground. A political problem will be brewing, not just in your own country, but someone else may be brewing trouble for you somewhere else. Three, never underestimate the ability of humans to mess life up. Your peaceful street or village can very quickly get consumed in violence. Number four, have the ability to get out of the local situation or the country quickly, meaning you will need the ability to fund yourself or have contacts abroad. Abroad does not need to be that far away. A neighboring country is good enough. It just needs to be peaceful. And number five, make sure when you leave, you open up the option for long-term move, not just a short-term one. Your civilization or society isn't worth your life. It's nice to be patriotic when things are fabulous, but when your newborn baby can't eat or your parents are dying literally of hunger, or if your uncle got shot, it's better to watch the carnage on a TV screen far away than in person as the victim. Now, some of you will disagree with me. You'll want to say, want to stay and fight or whatever you want to do. And remember, I'm talking here about man-made calamities. But again, remember, those that got out, they survived. Those that stayed got slaughtered. That's what history tells us. I prefer survival. But that's just me. And that's just only just a recommendation. Just a suggestion, but I think a good one, because most of us, at least I can speak for myself, are lazy bones, screen-addicted civilians, and we couldn't really fight a war against battle-hardened, trained soldiers. So it's not worth the bother. Save yourself. That's just my opinion. If you want to fight another human, go for it. Be my guest. Now, okay. That's it for this episode. Thank you so very much for listening. Catch you later. Thanks again. Bye-bye.